Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew and I'm the lead pastor and we're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you thought that short form online for us as a way of saying thanks, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed right there. Well, we're in our second week of It's Complicated, taking a look at how life, particularly relationships, right, get complicated when we don't do things God's way. So if you missed last week, we talked about five lies the enemy tells, which makes things complicated for us. So this week, uh, I'm going to share with you the one thing you need to do to have a wildly successful marriage. Now, that's not an overstatement. It's the honest truth. If you focus on this one thing and you do it really well, you'll have a very successful marriage, all right? Now, how many of you guys have kids? What's the one thing every kid learns from an early age? I mean, you don't even have to teach them this, right? They just instinctively know to behave in this way. It's learning that everything, and I mean everything, Thing, right is mine right and who can blame the little guys I mean being selfish as a kid is pretty important it's like it's a necessity right I mean all babies are born and they want you to get up in the middle of the night and do one thing feed them right well then they want you to get you know they want to get changed too so they want to eat they want to get changed they want to eat get changed kind of see a pattern that develops babies have to be selfish because it's a survival instinct they're not focused on anything else except themselves. So they learn the words, you know, mom and dad, and that kind of thing. But they usually will also learn right after that one word that we hear a lot, mine. And before you know it, you got a seagull, some all fine Nemo movies coming into your house. You know, mine, 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 mine. <laughs> you hear that kind of thing. Now, if you have other kids, especially older kids, uh, you know, you might hear that word mine quite a bit coming from the younger one probably. And if you follow it, you're likely to find an older sibling who's taken something from the younger one. Sometimes it's the other way around, right? But either way, it's, it's not right, you know? And at one point, you really cared about this. You, you corrected your kids, you did the whole, you gotta share thing. <laughs> but there comes a point with every parent, right? <laughs> with multiple kids uh, that you reach and you don't care about justice anymore. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You, you, you just want the nice and quiet for one day. And so you're just like, give me one day, come on. So you say something like this, just give it to her. And the older kid says, but it's mine. And you fire back with something that sounds like this. Give it to her because I give you things that are mine all the time. This is all mine anyway. The house is mine. The food is mine. The toys are mine. I bought them. They're mine. Does that sound familiar? Uh, of course, as we get older, we learn another word. We learn the word share. And while we share a lot of things, there are some things we really don't ever want to share. So, for instance, ladies, uh, men do not like sharing their food. Whenever I think of this, by the way, I'm always reminded of this episode from Friends. My wife and I loved watching that show back in the day. And so Joey's on this date and he realizes that he can never go out on a second date with this one woman again because she committed the unforgivable sin. She ate off of his plate. Uh, so you know, guys in general just don't like sharing food. And yet for some reason, women, you guys want our food all the time. Uh, now I've learned over the years, like, you know, <laughs> Let Shannon pick off your plate. <laughs> Don't stop her because I learned something else that's really important. 
I learned that whenever Shane is happy, man, life is good, right? I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth. If she's happy, you really are happy. So I, I let her eat off my plate now. But anyway, so this is how we start life, though, right? We, 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 everything's on our own. We're individuals. We don't share. It's just us. It's all mine, okay? And as we get older, we learn the value of sharing. But we're still looking out for us because it's just us. But then we might choose to get married, right? Many of us choose to do that. And then things have to change at that point. God's plan for your marriage is simply this that when you become married that you become one and that word one it's got two completely different meanings that are opposite of each other one can mean singular as in like hey there's one cookie left so don't you even think about it right uh, it can also mean one as in unity that team played as one that group worked together as one and we all started singular but when we choose to get married I recognize marriage is a Choice. Not everyone chooses that, and that's okay. But when we choose to get married, God's plan is that we come together and we become one. We become united. So what is the one thing which can bring about a wildly successful marriage? It's becoming one. Now, it's a lot easier to say that we're one and we're in this together, and so let's just do it, right? Uh, I've, I've done a lot of premarital counseling over the years, and, and one of the things I've found with different couples in this assessment uh, that I give them is that, uh, you know, they don't know a lot about each other. So they have an assessment where they can't look at the answers. they got to fill their own out. We come back together, and uh, we go over questions like, how, how are you going to handle your finances? How will you raise your kids? What's your family holiday schedule going to be like? Where will you choose to go to church? All those types of things. You'd be surprised, man. They they, they don't talk about that stuff and they don't know each other quite as well as they think they do but that's a pretty important session now when, when Shane and I got engaged we made a point to talk about everything in detail during that time period we had a lot of really deep talks on how to handle money uh, when we wanted to try for kids how many kids we wanted to have uh, how we would raise our kids all those types of things because that's part of the process really of becoming one it's, it's, it's not where you know the process ends but it is where the process starts so how do you become one then, right? How do you become one? Let's jump to the first book of the Bible, book of Genesis, and I want, I want to look at how you become one with your spouse. So God's just created uh, the first woman named Eve for the first man named Adam. And in Genesis 2, verse 24, we read this. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Other versions will say things like, hey, they became one flesh. But to be clear, this isn't just about unity. It's about consummating the marriage as well. You know, you're actually literally one person. So Ephesians 5, 31 echoes the same idea, like verbatim quoting what we just read in Genesis, speaking about husbands and wives physically coming together. Uh, but then it comes up again, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, only this time we're not talking about a husband and wife here. So 1 Corinthians 6 verses 15 and 16, author is a man named Paul and he says this, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? So should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never! And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one becomes one with her. For the scriptures say, the two are united into one. It's quoting from Genesis there, right? Here's what this tells me. That the idea of two people coming together physically doesn't actually have much to do with a successful marriage. I don't really care how great your sex life is, man. It isn't successful solely based on that. First Corinthians 6 alludes that you can have that experience in an adulterous affair. We just read that. So what makes it so successful? Like, how do you actually become one? What do you do to make that happen? Well, the answer is actually found in the very next verse in that 1 Corinthians passage. Look at 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17. But the person 
who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. How do you become one with your spouse? It's the same way you become one with the Lord. You know what you have to do, man? You have to die to yourself. You have to die to yourself. So if you're, if you're going to be one with Christ, it can't be about you any longer, right? You have to die to yourself so that Christ may live. And in your marriage, you have to die to yourself so you can become one with your spouse. So when we're joined with our spouse, you no longer live for you. It's not about you anymore. Not about your needs, your goals, your dreams. It's actually about hers, right? It's about his. And you live your life not to serve your own interests. You now live to serve your spouse. That's how you become one. Now you're saying, all right, I'm convinced... <laughs> Let's do it, man. I will become one as soon as she dies first. Like, I'm all in, right? And the problem with that, of course, is that Jesus, you know, he died first, right? Uh, but he made the decision to die first. He's the one who had the power. He had the authority, and yet he made the first move and died for not himself, but for us. And so in a marriage, where it's the husband or the wife, it doesn't really matter because personalities can be strong regardless of what gender it is. Whoever is the more dominant personality, that needs to be the person who makes the first move and say, I'm going to die to myself, okay? Because until you do it, the other person's not going to do it. It's not going to happen. You, whoever dominates the personality, you've got to make that first move, okay? Now, this is hard to do. I know a lot of married couples who struggle with this for different reasons. They want to make that move. They just can't bring themselves to actually do it. But you know, though, the promise of salvation, it doesn't even have full force without Jesus dying for us and us dying to ourselves. It takes two people for salvation to work. You know, it's going to take you dying to yourself to make your marriage to work as well. So Hebrews 9, uh, 16 and 17 tells us this, okay? When one person leaves a will, it's necessary to prove the other person who made it's actually dead. The will goes into effect only after that person's death. And while the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into full effect. So the author of Hebrews is using this illustration to explain how Jesus had to die for the promise of salvation to become available, okay? Without his death, there could be no relationship with God. And I'm telling you today, man, until you make a decision to die to yourself, you're going to have a rocky, rough married life. So let me put it this way, all right? There's going to be a lot less fights if you both would just die. You know, like dead people don't get offended. Dead people don't get mad. Dead people don't get their feelings hurt. You know, in fact, when you go to a funeral next time, try this. <laughs> Make sure nobody's around, okay? Uh, you don't want to upset anybody. But go to the casket, kind of peer in, and just say, I don't like you. I ain't never lied to you. You know how they say you look so good? <laughs> you don't. You look dead. You know what's going to happen? You ain't going to get offended because the person's dead, okay? Like when you're dead, you don't care about the right to live for yourself or your needs or desires or whatever because it's not about you and you're cool with that because you're dead. So here's what this also means. It means you give up the right to become angry and offended. And you say, yeah, but you don't know what he did, right? You, didn't, you don't hear what she said to me. Yeah, the, the people who love you the most often are the ones who can hurt you the most. I get that. But when you're crucified with Christ, as Galatians 2.20 tells us, man, you give up the right to become angry and offended like that. Galatians 2.20 says this, that my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So theoretically, when I follow Jesus, I no longer live. Instead, it's Christ who lives in me and through me. I've died in myself so that Christ might live in and through me. When you realize that, 
it makes you think twice about some things. You realize that you don't have the right to be a jerk, all right? You don't have the right to fight back and hit harder. You don't have the right just to walk out and never come back. Like, but you do have the right to die to yourself so that Christ might live in and through your marriage. So when God created the world, he made it a point to re remark that every single thing he made was good. Sky is good. Animals good. You know, it's all good, except for man. So for some reason, God thought it wasn't good for man to be alone. I don't know if Adam's running around with scissors or what you know, in the garden, but God's like, hey, he can't be alone. Let's get this kid some supervision, all right? So uh, you know, he, he, he creates Eve. Now, I think it's a little bit more than that. I think God understood Adam needed to know what it was like to die to himself. I think God wanted Adam to know how to live a life of humility and putting another's needs before his own, right? In other words, to live like Christ. Isn't that what we're supposed to do every day? And that includes our marriages as well. Live like Christ. So we become one and we die to ourselves. How do we become one? And to answer that question, we've got to stay in the Old Testament. But this time, we're going to go to the very last book of the Old Testament, a book called Malachi. So as a student one time, years ago, told me, I really like that book, Malachi. I said, what do you mean, Malachi, right? They're like, yeah, Malachi, the Italian prophet, right? So Malachi, Malachi has four chapters, and it sets up like this. The first chapter explains what Israel's doing wrong in their faith with God. The second chapter explains what they're doing wrong with their families. The third chapter details what's, the, what's happening that's wrong in their financial practices. And the fourth chapter talks about the coming of Jesus. So in Malachi, we learn how to get our faith, family, and finances together. If we put them under the authority of Christ, that he brings ultimate healing to our lives. So Malachi chapter 2, we read about what's happening with the families in Israel. What are they doing wrong? Where are they missing the mark at? And in verse number 13, we find this. This is God speaking to his people here. And he says, here's another thing that you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. And you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? You know, I'll tell you why, God says, because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were both young, but you've been unfaithful to her. No, she's been your faithful partner to the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife, right? In body and spirit, note that right there, okay? You are His, and what does He want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says God the, uh, of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of Heaven's army. So guard your heart, and do not be unfaithful to your wife. All right, so a couple of key points right here I want to talk about. I'll touch on uh, quickly here. One, why do we become one? Because God wants godly children. I'll explain that here in a little bit more detail in a moment. But two, and I want to be really clear here with this passage because people will take what God says about divorce and they'll twist it all around. Notice that God does not hate divorced people. That is really important. That's key. God loves people. If you've been the victim of divorce today, can I just tell you that God deeply loves you, man? He hates the act of divorce because divorce is the destruction of a marital union and inflicts all kinds of harm and pain on couples, not to mention kids if they're involved, but he loves people. He loves and cares for you, all right? So why do we become one? Because God wants us to multiply. This is both true physically in regards to actual children. That's a command from God, be fruitful and multiply, but also spiritually. So we read in Deuteronomy 32:30 that one person can put 1,000 to flight, but two people can put 10,000 to flight. So when you become one with your spouse, one plus one isn't equal to two. One plus one equals 10,000. The impact you can have and the reach you can have is multiplied exponentially. Like I can do more with Shana by my side than I can with just me. 
In fact, if you aren't one with your spouse, you can actually hinder what you could do. You won't be multiplying anything. In fact, 1 Peter tells us we, husbands are to live with their wives with understanding. Now, to be sure, it doesn't say understand them because, come on, that's impossible, right? But live with understanding. Live with understanding. So if she does something which irritates you or whatever it is, and this works both ways. Husbands can tick off their wives too, don't worry. Don't get upset. Live with understanding so you're still united and you're still one together. What what you set out to do is not hinder. Otherwise, 1 Peter 3, 7 explains that your prayers can be hindered. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want my prayers hindered. I don't want anything I set out to do to be hindered because I'm not one with my spouse. So when we're together, when we're united, we can multiply our impact. We can multiply what God does in us and through us. We can multiply our discipleship making. Our reach can be greater. But that kind of multiplication only happens when you first make the decision to die to yourself. My parents have been married for a long time. About as long as Noah built the ark. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But they've been married for a long time, over 30 years. And uh, they, they, they did not, and I would imagine still do not, have the perfect marriage. Nobody does. Uh, I got a lot of stories. Most of them are pretty funny because I tend to remember those kind of moments uh, in my life. But when I was a kid, um, there was one that stands out in particular with this message I want to share with you here today. Because uh, when I think of two married people living with understanding of each other, even if they don't get it right all the time, I think of them, you know? Like when I think of being united so, you know, that what you set off to do isn't hindered, I, I really think of them, especially when we're talking about dying to ourselves. So when I was a kid, um, my dad went back to school. My, my parents did not finish college. It was always important for my dad. He always had a goal to go back and finish. He's never been one to do things halfway. He's, he's, he's one to model that for us kids. And that meant, hey, I got to go back, get my degree, better my career, finish something I started. So my dad went back to school in the mid-90s, back when uh, USC Upstate was still USC Spartanburg here in South Carolina. And so during those few years, uh, he would work a full-time job, then leave that job, go straight to school, get home late at night. You know, I was basically left my mom to work her full-time job and somehow keep the three boys that she had alive each day because if you got little boys and it's not an exaggeration like it's true you're like little suicide machines running around I mean it's to keep your boys alive each day good job you know what I'm saying so she had three and so I, I know she didn't have it easy week in and week out during that time for sure um, she didn't want uh, she, she had to help my dad with schoolwork she didn't want to but she had to because my dad had the full-time you know job full-time student but he was still a full-time dad. It was the ball coach, took his fishing. He never stopped. And so there were times he was really tired to get behind. Mom would help him catch up and stay on track to finish school. So when the day finally came and he graduated with his degree, I gotta tell you, there was no one more proud and ecstatic than my mom. And, you know, my dad made sure to let everybody know this accomplishment, graduating college, was not a one-man show, one-man thing. It would never have happened without mom. They did it together. And that is why uh, we talk about dying to yourselves. I, I, I think of them. Because I think that's what dying to yourself can look like in a marriage. See, often when I read the Bible, um, you know, I, I ask a lot of what ifs. Like, what if Adam was not there when Eve ate the fruit? We, you know, we know he was, but what if he wasn't? So imagine for a moment Adam was somewhere else in the garden and God comes up to him and he and he says, hey, Adam, I'm, I'm really sorry to tell you this, man. I'm not even sure how to tell you this. But the bride that I made for you is sin. And she's eaten from this tree I said not to eat from. And, and now she's, she's going to die. You know, that didn't happen. I know that didn't happen. But, but, but here's what did happen, okay? God did create a bride for his son. 
The church is the bride of Christ, Scripture says. And when Adam and Eve ate from the fruit, God the Father had to tell his son, hey, I'm sorry to tell you this, but the bride I made for you has sinned, and she's going to die. So I would think that Jesus would have said something like, oh, yeah, but I, I, I love her, right? Like, I, want, I, I, I don't want her to die. Is there anything I can do? And maybe God the Father had something like this to say. So, well, somebody's got to die, so someone's got to do it. And perhaps it was Jesus who rose up, and maybe he said, hey, let it be me. Like, I'll die for my bride so that she might live. You see, that's the perfect marriage. It's not complicated. It is through Jesus dying in our place for our sin but also to us coming alongside saying, hey, I'm going to die too to myself so we can become one and be united. And we're united in our marriage and we emulate what Christ did for us and die to ourselves. See, every successful marriage is the celebration of two people, two individuals who are dying so that one flesh might unite and live. And so what I want to do here today, man, is I just want to pray for two types of folks. First, I want to pray for those of you who don't know Christ. Maybe neither you nor your spouse know Christ. But after this talk, you realize, hey, you know what? I want that union with Jesus. I, I, want, I want that, you know, being one that you're talking about. So I want to lead you in a two-step prayer that will, will, will go down here in just a moment that gets you started on your spiritual journey. But I also want to pray for those of you who might already be Christians, but your marriage is struggling. Maybe one or both of you refuse to die to yourselves. There's conflict. There's pain. There's some tough nights that lay ahead. I want to pray for you guys that you would both die to yourselves so that your union, your coming together, might be one. That your marriage might be successful and live. So, Father, I thank you for those who are watching all uh, and listening all, all over the place here today. God, I pray for those who right now just say, hey, I, I, I want to make that step forward and become one with Christ so that my marriage might be united and my husband and my wife, you know, we, we, we might become one together in the eyes of the Lord. And so I, I pray here today for those people, God, especially. If that, that's you right now, what we're going to do, you don't have to pray after me. You need to say it in your own words. But we're going to first ask Jesus to be our Savior. So we're going to ask Him to forgive us of our sins, and we're going to say a prayer just like this. Hey, Jesus, forgive me for my sin that I've done. I pray you forgive me for the wrongs I've committed. God, I'm sorry for doing things that have violated your standards and who you are. Will you cleanse me? Will you forgive me? Make me whole. Make me brand new, God. And that next step we're going to do is we're going to pray for him to become Lord. So when you ask him to forgive you, he's, he's become your Savior. Now he's going to be our Lord. And that means we're submitting ourselves to him. And so it's a prayer that says like, something like this. Hey, Jesus, today I, I want to make you Lord of my life. I don't want to lead anymore. I don't want to call the shots. It's not about me. You died for me. And now, God, I'm going to die to myself so I can be united with you. I want to be one with you, Jesus. So you lead me, you guide me, you call the shots. My life forever from this day forward belongs to you. And that's called making him our Savior and our Lord here today. And if that's a prayer you prayed, your journey is just beginning. We'll talk more about that here in a moment. But Lord, for those who are already believers and their marriage is struggling, God, I pray right now for those individuals that, that you would touch their marriage, heal their marriage, make their marriage whole. God, if they have not uh, done well here lately becoming one, maybe they're not dying to themselves or putting their own needs, their own desires above the other person's God. Maybe they are just, there's conflicts, there's fights, all kinds of things that are happening. Lord, I pray right now, no matter what it is, doesn't matter what it is. I pray right now that God, they recognize where they've been wrong at. They recognize, God, they need your forgiveness. They need each other's forgiveness as well. 
And Father, I pray that in seeking forgiveness from you and from each other, that Lord, you'd bring healing in their marriage, that God, they would begin to put to death their selfish desires and selfish needs. They would die to themselves, God, and become one, become one with you and each other so that their marriage might survive and thrive and live and be impactful so that you might multiply the impact that they can have and the reach they can have to impact uh, people in a, in a lost world, God, for you. So, Father, I thank you for what you're going to do in those marriages, Lord, we pray. We ask all this in your name. Amen. All right. So Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.